Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Stinger. For those that don't know, The Stinger is a new show on the Ganda Fan podcast. Uh, last week, we had the inaugural episode of Kings of the Court, a show that's going to be primarily basketball-focused, NBA, college hoops, women's hoops. We're going to be talking all things basketball on that Kings of the Court show. Well, The Stinger has its own field to play in. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be talking about any superhero movies or shows a lot of stuff happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe these days, both on Disney Plus and in theaters. We're going to be talking about new shows or movies entering the Star Wars universe and just other things that kind of fit under the bigger umbrella of quote unquote nerd culture. So one of the things that we're actually talking about today is the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, a movie that I got to watch this past weekend. I enjoyed it. I can't wait to talk about it on this episode and so that's an example of, you know, maybe something that's not Disney, that's not Marvel or Star Wars that we're going to be talking about. And so joining me on the Stinger today, two of our hosts from the Real Underdogs podcast, John Battiston and Trent Neely. And then our third guest is Joseph Sneed. You have heard him on this podcast with me talking about primarily uh, Mandalorian. We did our run of Mandalorian recap shows back when that show was was still releasing um and so another guest that will frequently be on the show is justin redmond the third host of the real underdogs podcast today we are talking about the falcon and the winter soldier who you know that show is now three episodes in it's already halfway through which is crazy since it's just a six episode show but man this show honestly exceeded all my expectations from the get-go i'm excited to hear what the rest of the guys have to say about that it's going to be a good discussion and like i said we'll be talking Zack snyder's justice league as well lots of superhero stuff going on right now and honestly i it's never been a better time to love superhero movies and shows the, there's just so much content coming out and that's why i wanted to create this show as a place for you the listener to, to have some conversations about all of this content uh to listen to so without further ado trent john and joseph are going to join me and we are going to get our discussion going all right joining me now on the podcast You've heard all of these men before, and they're back again today for our first introductory episode of The Stinger. It is Trent Neely. Hello, everybody. John Battiston. You referred to me as a man. That's so sweet. <laughs> and, and Joseph Sneed, coming in hot from Echo Base. What's up, my guy? <laughs> Not too much. Guys, we have a lot to talk about today. Um but what what have you guys what have you guys been enjoying the most watching right now? What what um what shows, movies, uh, or even books, comics are you reading? What are you enjoying the most right now? Um, so I'm still slowly working my way through uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So that's been taking up a lot of my time. Hey. Um, and then also catching up on some of the the little um smaller like 2020 films from last year, like Nomadland and Another Round, and a bunch of those. Um, so crossing those off the list to get ready for the big Oscar predictions that I'm sure will go by the wayside because 2020 was such a weird year. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's a very good point. John, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned books because uh, I think I mentioned to you that I've been reading it. But last night, I finally, after more than two months, I finally finished Dune uh, by Frank Herbert. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, it it took me a long time. It's a very dense read. It's very complex and challenging, uh, but it was also very good, very rewarding. And also last night, I watched a really good movie by the great Chinese filmmaker, Hong Kong filmmaker, Wong Kar Wai called Chung King Express. Saw it for the first time and really enjoyed it. And so if you've got access to it, I'd recommend you check it out. Interesting. Okay. I like it. Joseph, how about yourself? I have been uh, diligently watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine which I think has turned into my favorite TV show, like of all the TV shows. Wow. It's pretty great. Um, and I've been reading, what have I been reading? I've got a Thrawn book over here on my desk. I have a High Republic book over here. And this little bad boy is the High Republic Marvel comic that's been out. So uh, good, good bit of uh, High Republic and Star Trek going on. That's a nice combo right there. Yeah, you're on the all the all the new newest Star Wars content out there. Uh the High Republic stuff. I know you've been all over that since since it started, but yeah, I it, it interests me. I don't know if I'll ever get around to reading them, but it's um, uh, pretty good. The the first High Republic book is called uh Light of the Jedi. About halfway through it and it's already kind of up in the the upper echelon of the Star Wars books I've read. Dang. That's dope. That's dope, man. Yeah. So if you haven't, if you couldn't tell already, we're we're four just everyday nerds going through life, watching, reading, listening to uh, our favorite stories. We've got Joseph. Obviously, you guys know from listening to the the Mandalorian episodes we did is the, the he is, you know, the Emperor Palpatine of of star wars knowledge he's got it all man he is he is it's just locked in there he's got it all and i know trent and john you guys both for sure have a love for whether it's superheroes movies and comic movies or or the you know the fantasy stories like harry potter and lord of the rings you guys th those things are near and dear to your heart and so i'm i'm excited we're gonna try and do this on a on a regular basis now this is uh this has got me very excited because I love all of these things as well. We share that in common. And I know a lot of people, other people do as well. So I'm, I'm pumped to start our, our more regular discussions about this stuff. There's a lot to dig into right now. There's like, and, yeah, and when you look and, at like the release schedules of different stuff coming out, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like an avalanche that's, that's approaching. And I gotta say, this is like the great team up because obviously you guys did the Mandalorian stuff together. Uh, Joseph joined the Rio Underdogs for the Tolkien pod all the way back um so this is the first time i think we've all converged on one one subject so greatest crossover in nerddom history i guess yes. Zack snyder will direct our story yes <laughs> yes Dang, uh, actually before, before this, this episode releases um i'm sending to Zack snyder to edit it first so um <laughs> he's somehow gonna stretch our hour and a half conversation into four hours just wait mm -hmm. okay so the first thing to talk about tonight is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're three episodes deep in this already, and that means we're already halfway through. I, I personally have loved 
almost every minute of this show so far. I'll just put I'll just throw that out there. I don't know how you we actually haven't really talked about this show yet, but um, what what are y'all's general thoughts on the first three episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, this is um, it's nice to see Marvel sort of obviously WandaVision was this great um, experience, but it was sort of very much doing its own thing. I feel like Falcon and Winter Soldier has been Marvel kind of coming back to their doing things in their wheelhouse with very action espionage um, realism type storytelling. So it's been cool to see them come back to that. Um, and I got to say the action in this series has been some of the best, I think, in the MCU, especially that opening like paragliding fight sequence. Um, so yeah, just seeing that, seeing these characters being explored in more depth and some great performances by, um, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, especially it's been, it's been a really fun watch, but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get more into detail, but in general, those are sort of the first things that stick out to my brain. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think, uh, you know, where, where WandaVision, you know, obviously, which was the big kind of television, television debut of the MCU, where that was an opportunity for Marvel to kind of flex itself creatively and, you know, uh, dip itself into, you know, new audio visual depths. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think, is really uh, where it is kind of flexing itself in terms of character building and, uh, I guess, topical uh, storytelling because I mean especially with episode two so far you know the the theme that has run through especially the Captain America franchise is asking you know quote-unquote big questions about America at least to the you know to the point that uh, a series for children and teens can credibly do so and asking about like what was America built on and what are its foundations but I think the series is a lot braver and more direct in asking you know what is america right now and it is with the you know obvious and major exception of black panther it's one of the only marvel titles to directly dive into the topic of race as at at the center of it and i think so far it's doing so in a really nuanced and impressive way and all of that comes out in really good performances really good writing and there's also a lot of really well directed action and suspense uh, peppered through it and yeah i've been impressed really uh extensively so far yeah i'm a i'm a big fan uh captain america is my favorite superhero and so it's kind of dealing with the the legacy of what makes a captain america you know we see that with john walker is it just the the suit and the shield and the soldier or what what deeper uh, aspects make a Captain America, um, not just Steve Rogers. So I've been a big fan of seeing the the more psychological look at Bucky and and also the family life of Sam with uh, with his sister and his nephews. So big fan so far. Yeah, I I agree. I think. To me, we talked about this when we talked about WandaVision that, you know, the the intention of doing these shows on Disney Plus for Marvel is, at least from what we can tell, is to give certain characters more story than they had gotten in the movies. And, and I think in WandaVision, they accomplished that to a degree, but it wasn't maybe as fulfilling as I had hoped. Whereas with Falcon and the Winter Soldier... I this is this is arguably some of the best character storytelling I think that the, that Marvel has done with with their heroes. I a, a lot of times 
because of the genre it's in as being the superhero movie, it, the, the character development can get lost in the shuffle of plot and spectacle and things of that nature. But this is such a grounded story and it allows them not only to tell the stories of all these characters really well, but to tackle a topic like race in America and do it very, I, I think, carefully. And I, I'm just like, I'm proud of Marvel for doing it because it's they're they're releasing this show on on Disney Plus, and there's a lot of people that probably subscribe to Disney Plus that wouldn't watch a show that uh, that kind of tackled this topic. Uh, they might avoid it, but since their favorite superheroes are in it, they're watching it now, and so I think that honestly, like my, I, I would hope that that just like kind of moves the discussion of race in America into people's homes as well. So I think that's that's a cool attribute that this show has uh going for itself um but as for you know the show the show itself and the story itself <clears throat> you know the the first episode was a very uh it wasn't it wasn't an action episode at all other than that for opening sequence you get of um of of sam going in the air with the the paraglider and taking down the the bad guys in there, you get that action sequence. And then the whole rest of it is like very grounded. It's very, uh, you get to, you get to see their family life and whatnot. And then episode two, it's much more, uh, dealing with the, the more broad themes of, of race and things like that. And then this episode three, I feel like really moved the plot forward more than any of the episodes that came before. And I gotta say like, I, I don't I don't even know how I rank all these episodes. I, I've enjoyed all of them so much. But episode three was like, man, we're getting it's like getting really good now because they're still carrying the weight of all the all the stuff and baggage that these characters have held in the pre uh, previous two episodes uh, while moving the plot forward. So um, with all that being said, what have you guys been the most impressed with uh, from a storytelling perspective? Yeah, I think for me, it's just honestly been um, sort of the overall mental health emphasis that these episodes have had, both for Bucky and Sam. Um, obviously, Bucky is the more overt addressee of it, where, um, you know, he's being forced to do these counseling sessions as part of his um, pardon for all of his activities he committed as the Winter Soldier. Um, so seeing um, the relationship he has with his therapist, which, by the way, is great where she's just honestly always pushing him to be like, no, you need to talk about what's bothering you and stuff like that. Um, and the relationship he has with his neighbor whose son he killed. Um, I think that's been great. But And then for Sam, though, you also get um, some stuff where he's like, no, it, you know, taking on the mantle isn't just as easy as taking on the shield. There's a lot of responsibility. And, you know, I do have to weigh these political and socioeconomic stuff that happens with the military and the history of America and race. And so I think the fact that the show, when it very easily could just go on this, like, Hey, let's go right into the action of, you know, the good guys stopping the bad guys here. It's like, let's take a minute to see where both these men are in a post end game world where they've barely probably had time to adjust um, since the battle of Thanos and Endgame, and really seeing what that has done to them and how they're navigating this sort of, reset world um that they find themselves in i think that's really brave and cool of marvel to do yeah like i said earlier i think digging into the characters in I, I think it picked the best possible character traits and dilemmas to focus on for both of the characters like you mentioned trent like really bucky 
kind of learning to not linger on his guilt from the Winter Soldier days, even though, you know, from an intellectual perspective, you know, that guilt shouldn't be there. He knows he was brainwashed. He knows that he was taken advantage of in his weakest of states. But, you know, obviously for anybody who would be in that position, it's a much more complex issue than that, you know, having to live with the fact that you, you know, agency, lack of agency, whatever, did bring the end to so many innocent lives. I mean, that's a that's a big burden to carry even with a new life. And then Sam with his ready readiness to be Captain America in several respects, but mainly in relation to, you know, am I ready to take on the mantle of being Captain America, both the responsibility and, you know, kind of the intimidation factor that comes from essentially being a black man who's going to stand as the mascot of an entire country that really hasn't stood for him in turn uh, or people like him, uh, at least solidly for pretty much its entire history. And, you know, it doesn't touch on those topics, you know, any more show, more so, like I said, than a show made for kids and teens, you know, can credibly do. It doesn't take itself uh, like it, it doesn't treat itself like it's going to be, you know, to kill a mockingbird or to pimp a butterfly or some other artwork with an infinitive phrase in the title. But I mean, it is. It is still kind of taking the platform that it has, taking the level of uh, audience connectivity that it has and really, you know, making a lot of strides in that way. And then also I'll mention Carrie Scogland has directed every episode and everything looks really slick. It's kinetic uh, and really gets intimate with the characters when it needs to. Um, and it's also pretty well paced. And I think a lot of that comes down to good writing. You know, a lot has been taken care of plot wise in just the first three episodes and we've only got three left like you said earlier josh and so i think a lot is gonna have to happen but uh at the same time i mean they've come such a long way so far and i've uh i've been delighted and i'm sure they're gonna continue to to delight going forward i've enjoyed seeing um a look at superheroes in a way that they're more unsure and all of their decisions aren't as uh black and white um you know i think seeing bucky having to make amends for for what he's done struggling with how to do that with um the the old man that he has lunch with um whose son he ended up killing although i guess that's a spoiler if we could do that um, that's a yeah the, hey spoiler warning i'm sorry you're you're it's too late folks there's no going back yeah so and you know that was episode one but uh, seeing how Bucky goes about making his amends, make his decisions with that. And then you've got Sam, who's kind of unsure of his place in the world for the moment. Um, Bucky's trying to get him to be Captain America, and he just wants to be Sam. Um, and then even with John Walker struggling with, is he really Captain America? And there was that scene at the beginning of episode three where the the i think they were in germany <clears throat> and the he breaks into the the warehouse and the guy pretty much says i know who you are and i don't care so it's he's figuring out that just because he has the uniform and the shield people don't automatically respect him so all the characters are very unsure of themselves and unsure of the direction they need to go when a lot of the times they in uh in regular movies, you see these superhero characters like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we're either going to get it done or we're going to fail, but this is what we're going to do. And now they're kind of like, well, I don't really know what we need to do. We got to figure out a way to beat uh, 
these flag smashers. We got to figure out a way to honor Steve Rogers' legacy. All of these different things coming together where the characters are just kind of like, I don't really know what to do. We're going to throw darts at the board and see what happens. I was just saying, surprisingly, uh, you know, John slash the new Captain America didn't earn respect by grabbing a random civilian and screaming, do you know who I am? Because apparently that works out so well for everybody that uses that tactic. But it was, yeah, he was coming in hot, man. I, I do like how the, the switch for John Walker flipped so hard in this show. Like he was like kind of respectable. You kind of felt for him and like, it's a tough job, but I, I want to do my best to, you better stay out of my way and do you know who I am? Like it, it was this is a quick turnaround for my guy. Yeah, I do want to say also real quick. I think like why Wyatt Russell is doing a great job as that character. And like for all those people out on the internet who are bullying him just because they don't like that character, like, can you all not? Like, we need to separate performers from their characters. Like, if you don't like the character, that's fine. Um, but but let Wyatt Russell, you know, do his job without being harassed online or worse. Um because, yeah, I've been reading a lot about the harassment he's gotten. That's great. I didn't know about that. I mean, yeah, it, he, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, like just insane stuff where he's just like, yeah, people are just like every day tweeting things at me and Instagram posting me terrible things. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's just sort of unfortunately parts of toxic fandom exist everywhere. But um, I, th- I think it's just absurd that we can't separate sort of that artist and um, character thing yet. And like, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to love Walker as a character. I think he is supposed to be a semi, you know, opposing force. Um, so I think that means he's doing his job correctly if you don't like him. I think you nailed it. I, I was thinking the same thing. Um, yeah, so I, I think one of the things that I've, you know, coming into the show, I expected to get a lot of banter, kind of like buddy cop, jokes being tossed to and fro between Sam and Bucky. Uh, but I, I, I really, I actually think the show has given a little bit of a deeper context to their friendship and relationship. So I, I'm curious, what are y'all's thoughts on the Sam and Bucky relationship, especially like in a world without Steve Rogers. Now it's kind of like that they are now merged together um, kind of without the guy that brought them together. Yeah, no, I think I think it's great that, um, like you said, that they're sort of having to the one thing they really agree on 100 percent is that they both agreed to follow Steve. And now that's gone. Um, So that really changes everything. I loved I, I think it's an episode two where there's the line of like where Anthony Mackie's like, why are you so upset about me not taking the shield thing? And like Sebastian Stan finally says it's like because if he was wrong about you, that means he's wrong about me. And like in one line, Sebastian Stan like just clearly puts out like what Bucky's whole deal for this whole series is. And I'm like, you go, Sebastian Stan. Um, so I, I love that that sort of has been the, the more emotional stuff besides the buddy cop thing, which is great for the two of them. Um, but I'm glad the show realized there's emotional stuff to mine there um, has been more of the focus. I think that's actually been a pleasant surprise in the show for me because I was expecting a more comedic presentation. Yeah, and that aspect of it was actually pretty neatly symbolized, I think, in, you know, obviously at the end of Endgame, uh, you know, uh, senile Joe Biden-esque Captain America gives his shield to 
to Sam. And, you know, that's the part of him that he transfers over. And essentially a legacy is Captain America. But off screen, you know, we come to learn during this series, he gives his uh, kind of special notebook to uh, to Bucky, the one in which he was kind of writing down the pop cultural uh, cornerstones that he needed to catch up on after being uh, trapped in the ice. And that's in Bucky's possession now. And so it kind of goes to show that, you know, these two seem to, you know, very slowly, but very surely be coming to an understanding of like, we are like, neither of us can individually live up to, I guess, the image of heroicism and purity that Steve Rogers represented, but like, he's almost kind of bifurcated his legacy between the two of us. You know, uh, we each kind of have inherited what he left behind. Uh, and so I don't know, it's, it kind of makes it clear that it's only through a team effort that they can really kind of be able to honor his legacy. I just don't think that they've fully gotten there yet. Obviously they still are butting heads really intensely, but I, I can't see, I can kind of see that being the trajectory where this uh, hopefully goes toward, or, uh, you know, maybe something a little more surprising will happen. Yeah. The, it's like the the mutual friend has gone away, and now the two guys that were on either side have to be around each other, and they don't really know how to be around each other. It's always awkward. Mm-hmm. I like the I like the callback at the end of this last episode where uh, Sam says, "You're not going to move your seat up, are you?" And Bucky says, "No." That's a great uh, callback. This and that's, I think that's where it gets into the buddy cop thing a little bit. But the jokes aren't as blatant, like make you laugh, witty jokes. It's those little things um, that, you know, Bucky was waiting like the two or three years of his lifetime that he could to say that uh, just to get back at Sam. And it's those the little tiny things. Um, <clears throat> but I really liked how they showed it um, and how Bucky's kind of uneasy around sam i think the therapist said that sam texts him a lot and he never answers um so that kind of isolation where he's trying to figure out who he is without steve and i think sam is trying to rediscover who he is without steve because you know sam was a you know he was a war veteran before he met captain america um so he was kind of a a fully formed person whereas bucky has been really messed up by Hydra and is having to be put back together. Sam has been able to um, live without Steve before um, and hasn't been messed up. So I think the two of them are going to end up uh, turning into the equivalent of Steve for each other. I That's a really good point you lay out there. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, the, well, the therapist told us and the fact that Sam has been the one reaching out to Bucky repeatedly. That's kind of, uh, you know, that going into the show, I mean, there's a little bit of question over who would really carry the shield, but we knew that in Endgame, Steve gave the shield to Sam. And so the expectation, at least in my mind, was Sam's going to be the next Captain America. And it's like, it's kind of like part of that responsibility on top of doing all of the things that Steve did in the suit going into battle and, um, and, and what he stood for, it also, it like requires you to take care of Bucky in a way, you know what I mean? Like I, 
that Steve was the only one out of all the Avengers who was there for Bucky for, you know, the period of time in which he was no longer a Hydra agent, but trying to figure it out on his own in the world. And now Steve's gone. And I couldn't help but think that Sam, I mean, he's got to feel some responsibility on his own, being one of the few other people in the world at this point who even knows Bucky on a personal level. And so I think that dynamic is going to be interesting to, to watch going forward because Bucky has let down Steve. And so, like they both let down each other. When Sam gave up the shield, Bucky, that's instead of responding to the text, Bucky shows up in person to let him know his disappointment. And when Sam realizes that that Bucky knew about Isaiah all along, that there was a black Captain America before uh, all those years ago and that no one knew about it. He didn't still tell Steve about it. That clearly disappointed Sam. And it, it's like they're at a point now at the end of episode three. I, I would really say there there's got to be serious reparations made between the two of them uh, because if, if they were to defeat the flag smashers next episode and things were over, I would think they would go their separate ways. My guess is that the biggest rift between them, even though it kind of gets resolved, not resolved, but a little bit, uh, you know, uh, alleviated during the course of the third episode, but Bucky goes behind Sam's back at the beginning of the third episode and breaks Zemo out of prison after giving less thought than the typical person gives to a Starbucks order. Like that's like, he literally is just like, Oh, this guy's not cracking. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's shake up the system a little bit and, and get him jacked. And I don't know that, uh, it, that definitely, I mean, like you said, the Bucky kind of needs eyes on him. He needs somebody to take care of him. And after, you know, pulling some stunts like that. And also, like you said, uh, you know, some of the disappointments from the earlier uh, episodes, like not telling Sam about Isaiah, stuff like that. Like he, he could use a little supervision. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, I, I think it's clear too. Uh, another character in this show, we talked about him a little bit earlier, U.S. agent, uh, John Walker entering the fold. And we haven't got, like, it, it was weird because, he got introduced at the end of episode one. Episode two, we got his backstory and we actually got him in other scenes interacting with the other characters. And then last episode, he was literally the opening scene and that was it. We didn't see him at all throughout the rest of the episode. At least that at least that's what that's what I remember. Um, but I'm curious, what do y'all think about John Walker? Because personally, I think um I want to see more of him. I mm -hmm. think he's a very compelling character and Wyatt Russell, like we talked about earlier, is doing a very good job portraying this character. Yeah, I really like it. I like how complex he is where like the show has gone through um, to lengths to show us like his history that this is a, you know, her pretty heroic military guy. But he also we sort of talked about like has been shown to sort of have a short fuse, very quick to anger guy too. And I like that complexity. Um, I really hope the show does not turn him into a full on antagonist figure by the end of the season. I would much rather, I think it's much more interesting if they more draw a parallel to Steve where it's almost like, no, John Walker is a great US soldier, but that's not what made Steve Rogers great. Like it, like Steve Rogers thing was, he was a great man, not just a great soldier. So I think that's the route that they should more go with Walker rather than like turning him into a overly aggressive antagonistic character that needs to be defeated in some way by the end of the season. I hope they can continue to sort of um, put in the shades of gray with John Walker for these next uh, three episodes. 
Yeah, and I don't know what direction he goes in the comics as U.S. agent, but I mean, I kind of see him heading into, you know, more anti-hero territory, uh, not necessarily, like you said, full-on antagonist, because, I mean, you see in him, I mean, it's especially clear from that line that was referenced uh, in episode three, I mean, you see that uh, being Captain America has already pretty quickly gone to his head. He's already got kind of a bit of an ego about him. And ego has been, you know, kind of a defining characteristic for a lot of uh, MCU heroes, not anti-heroes, but heroes. I mean, especially if we're talking about Tony Stark or Stephen Strange, those are like the two big ones. But, you know, in this case, ego is manifesting in uh, aggression and antagonism, you know, when he's, you know, kind of uh, screaming in the faces of, uh, you know, by uh, by the rule of law, innocent civilians. Uh, but uh, essentially, you know, at the same time, it would be, I think, a little bit too much of a heel turn for him to just go full antagonist. And, you know, maybe his ego kind of influences him in a way that doesn't make him entirely an enemy for the rest of the Avengers, but still kind of keeps him towing the line a bit. And I'm, do, does anybody know, like, if that's the direction that uh, U.S. agent goes in the comics or does it kind of depend on the on the strain uh, or the storyline? What do y'all what do y'all know? I know nothing. Joseph, do you know anything about U.S. agent? I'm not too familiar with U.S. agent. Uh, I'm not much of a Marvel superhero comics reader. Um I have my I, own thoughts about what might happen to him. Okay. I before we get to that, I have heard I, I think it was on the, the Ring of Rest podcast we were talking about earlier. They uh one of the episodes they mentioned that he was introduced into the comics as like a hardcore version of Captain America. Now I don't know what I don't know what direction he goes down to the comics, but his the intention of making him a character was because certain people thought that Steve Rogers was too soft, quote unquote. Um, and so U.S. agent John Walker provides more of like this, like rugged uh, Captain America figure in the comic. So I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not sure um, I because I haven't read the comics. That's just kind of what I've heard. But Joseph, I'm interested to hear what, where you think this character's uh, story is going. Yeah, so on paper. He's like the perfect Captain America. He's, you know, they say he's a three-time Medal of Honor recipient. Uh, physically, he's pretty much the peak you can get without being a super soldier. Um, and even in that uh, that Good Morning America interview they have at the football field, he seems like a really personable guy, very charismatic. Uh, and then you kind of see deeper into to who he is he's a little bit arrogant but i mean given his uh resume he he does have some cause of being arrogant he's not uh he's not a little nobody that hasn't done anything he's he's got the credibility for for being a captain america but <clears throat> um kind of like what trent was talking about um being a perfect soldier isn't what made captain america captain america dr erskine and the first one tells Steve Rogers to he's not going to be a perfect soldier, but he's always got to stay a good man. Um, I think uh, I think some of the the stress of not getting the job done with the flag smashers is going to get to to John Walker's head, and he's going to end up taking super soldier serum, and it's going to mess him okay. up. And uh, and so he's not going to be a, quite a bad guy per se. 
or, or an outright villain, but he might be a a bad guy. <laughs> um, so he'll be like a bad guy with maybe good intentions or something like that. But I think he's going to end up taking super soldier serum because he gets uh, his butt handed to him by the flag smashers at some point, I think is what's going to happen. He's going to have some form of identity crisis of, well, Captain America was a super soldier. I have to be a super soldier. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting that he doesn't have the serum. Honestly, like it's kind of a, because I think everyone knew Steve had the serum. I think it's kind of, you know, I, he, he can have all the accolades he has, but like there's only, there's only so, uh, there's only so high the human body can reach. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. going up against other physical threats, I, I, that's a good, it's a good prediction, Joseph. I, I could very well see, see the character going that route. And, and something with John Walker too. Um, he got beat by the super soldiers up in the, in the truck fight scene. But he didn't get beat down by the super soldiers. So he, he, even without a super soldier serum, he's still bad man jam out there. Mm-hmm. So he can, if he gets that super soldier serum, he could probably hang with him because he's got all the combat training and everything. He handled the shield pretty good. So I think, uh, I think he's pretty good on his own. But he's gonna something's gonna happen. He's gonna need that psychologically need that serum. All the all the fundamentals are there. He may not be the fastest guy on the field. He may not be the strongest guy in the weight room, but hey, the, the, the intangibles are there. So you give him that super serum, my man's about to light some stuff up. Um, John Walker's really uh, he's first guy in, last guy out. Yeah. Scrappy Jim, <laughs> Captain America. That's what he is. Exactly. He's a he's a lunch pail guy, honestly. Um. Okay. I want to talk about my new favorite Marvel villain. Baron Helmet Zemo. Yes. Uh, listen, I mean, round of applause. Round of applause for Daniel Brühl and what he is doing uh, in this show as Zemo. Honestly, what he already did in Civil War as Zemo. He comes back in this episode and I feel like injected. The show was already good, but like injected life into the show in a way that um, not many other people could do. He's just like so blunt about it. Like my, I love when they're asking him about Marvin Gaye and he's just like, it completely encapsulates the African-American experience. And Sam's <laughs> like, you're totally out of line, man. But he's right. He's like, he's just like got this like wildness to him. So what do y'all think about Zemo? How, how does he, where does he fit into all of this? I, I am loving Zemo. I personally hope that he is not a full on antagonist by the end of the series. And that he is just like, he's like, I, I think the show directly addressed this where they're like, nah, he hates super soldiers. So he should be a hundred percent on board with destroying the flag smashers. Like once they said that, I'm like, Oh yeah, it does actually make sense for them to break him out and have him um, help them. Um, I would just love though. If he's just like causing chaos and like, maybe he helps them at the end of the day, but also you can tell like he's sort of setting up, whatever his next scheme in the next MCU project they want to bring him in. Like he's laying the groundwork to be the next like criminal gangster or something. Um, I, I just want to watch Daniel Brule dance his way and do whatever he wants, honestly, forever. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I mean, I've got, uh, sorry, go ahead. Josh. Nah, go for it. Go for it. I really had, I was just going to say, I really have nothing to add to that. Brule's great. Yeah. I, I, 
man, Zemo had some good lines in this one. Uh, the the scene when he walks into the the warehouse and they're arguing, and he's like, if, "If I could say something right now," and they both just yell at him to shut up. <laughs> he says he says one other line. He's like, "I really do feel I'm invaluable," and they're like, "Shut up, dude, or we will hurt you." And the and like you said, the line about Marvin Gaye is like. Is complete, James. Comprehensive. <laughs> encapsulates the African American experience. It, it was just hilarious. And then he starts busting moves in uh, Agent 13's Madripoor uh, mansion. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was a side of Zemo you didn't think you would see because Zemo was this like grim, dark. My family is dead. I want to kill the Avengers. Mission report December 16, 1991. Tell me what's going on. He was just like, I hate to say one note, but he was kind of one note in his evilness. Um, You can understand his evilness, but it was just kind of straight up evilness. And now he's kind of cracking jokes a little bit and uh, showing a little bit more personality. Uh, So I... I honestly think Zemo's been hilarious in this show. And then he turns into scary Zemo when he starts shooting people in the face. And um, that scene where he's almost taken a little bit of joy out of making Bucky be the Winter Soldier again. When he says, uh, whatever, Winter Soldier attack. And Bucky just starts wiping out everybody in that bar. And uh, you kind of see him like, I like this a little bit because I'm torturing the super soldier right now. Yeah, he's definitely he's got a dark side. Obviously, we know that, but he's not. That's not all that there is to him. He's a he is a reckless kind of wild card of a character, but he's he's much more entertaining than I think I thought he would be. Uh, Also, I didn't know uh, Baron Zemo was in the repertoire of impersonations, Joseph. I, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't expecting to hear him in, in the flesh on this call, but I guess I was mistaken. So, well, you know, um, I, I am out of practice these days, but I do like to to drop one in every once in a while when I can. It sounds perfect. It sounds beautiful to me. Um, I one one the really the last character. I feel like we have to talk about she just got reintroduced back into the fold in this last episode. And that's Sharon Carter. You mm-hmm. might remember her um, as the great niece of Peggy Carter, who made out with her great uncle. Uh, you know, we can't forget that. We can't no, we forget cannot. that, Marvel. So um, but uh, we forgave Empire Strikes Back for I know. Seriously, you know, like that Disney umbrella, something about it. Um, but here's the deal. She's back. And she has kind of gone from her ways of of fighting for justice under the umbrella of shield because she's been outcast from America. There's a um, there's a warrant for her arrest if she steps foot on American soil. Um, kind of crazy. I, I'm just curious. What what is what was y'all's reaction when you found this out and just kind of the in just kind of the sentiment she has towards the the Captain America mantle and the superhero mantle, if we're going to be honest. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great that the show addresses that it's like, look for these people who are either superheroes themselves or like best friends of the superheroes. They've been able to sort of 
superhero their way out of a lot of these like legal troubles but for a lot of these periphery characters it's like nope like when you all became fugitives i had to still go back to my bosses and be like yep i totally gave you know falcon his wings and kept his shield back uh sorry and then i got fired and had to learn how to survive in this criminal underworld i think it's great that the the show's like nope sometimes people just have really terrible consequences they have to deal with um i thought that was a really fresh side of the mcu and sort of a less romanticized thing that we haven't really seen before and that the show sort of alluded to with other stuff where like the avengers don't get paid um so so no i think bringing sharon in um is great also emily van camp's just a a really good actress that i'm glad she's getting some more work in the mcu because i thought you know it was a little too little screen time for civil war for her so by way of consequences i think we do need to kind of discuss and it's not overseen i think by the show but uh, her character does mention, you know, you all got your, you know, fancy government pardons, whereas I've been on the run for however long. I, I don't think it's made very clear whether or not she got blipped. But still, it's kind of made clear that, you know, after uh, Cap went on the run at the end of Civil War and she subsequently also went into hiding, she's kind of been in that state ever since. And so, you know, a big question, and I'm not the first person to address this at all, but is how did Cap not Part, get Sharon pardoned with his pull with the government. I mean, right. it it just seems like a really nonsensical oversight. And I and maybe there's going to be some sort of explanation later on. You know, maybe at the end of the show, she's going to open her phone and be like, "Okay, Homeland Security did DM me, but it was in my Finsta, and I haven't checked that in eight years since before <laughs> the blip." And so, all right, next stop DC. But I mean. It really does seem like there's going to have to be a lot of kind of, you know, hand wringing in uh, uh, in retrospect in order to kind of justify whatever caused that. I'm, I'm not really sure what the explanation is going to be, but it's going to be interesting because that seems yeah. like a very non Steve Rogers esque mistake, especially after they had a romantic, you know, entanglement to whatever degree you want to call whatever they right. had. Um, mm hmm. Yeah, they had like a one minute stand, I guess. <laughs> hey, they were they were flirting in Winter Soldier. They were they were neighbors, or he thought they were neighbors. Uh, uh, he wanted he wanted her to come over to do laundry, like you know. Uh, so that's what they're calling it. Yeah. <laughs> is that a euphemism? No, um, that honestly is a line in uh in Winter Soldier. <laughs> yeah. I, I, th- I can't remember if it was a Reddit post or not, but it was talking about Sharon and it made me laugh with how direct it was. It said, Sharon got screwed. That's um, facts. Yeah, I don't know how Captain America forgot about her, but maybe he was like, nah, I got my plan. I'm going to see Peggy. She can work it out, which that might lend some credence into a theory that she was blipped if he was just hanging out for five years like oh yeah we should probably find uh sharon carter because they didn't come and arrest him during the the five years because he was walking around with his little support group and rolling up into the avengers compound and nobody arrested him so it, it might be that but uh sharon came in in a way that was not altogether expected to me i thought she was going to be on a mission for maybe sword since i guess shield isn't really a thing anymore and she said no i'm just like a black market art dealer now so that's also an assassin which i i personally really like like the 90 degree or not, not 90 but 180 degree turn she makes 
from what she was in the past. Also, just her character was never really flushed out in the past to what she is now. I love it. Like, I don't I, I really I'm I'm very interested to see where they go with her. I don't care if she has a darker side or is a little bit has some villain tendencies that we're kind of seeing now because um, she has reason. I mean, she ha- not not to, you know, not that I want to see her go full villain mode, but she has reason to carry these gripes that she does. Um, and if that happened to her, then this is a natural response. I think I also really like what it does to Sam's character too. After the conversation they have, um, Sam's already dealing with this, this whole idea of taking up the mantle of captain America and what kind of pressure that brings to him. Also, how, how can I be, the first you know not the first now that we know isaiah bradley exists but you know one of the few black captain americas when i can't get a bank loan um because based on the color of my skin and not only do you have that but then you have this extra baggage that's gonna be heaped upon him of oh this is what this is what happened when the last captain america didn't uh, pardon me like the rest of the Avengers and, and, and Sharon Carter's explaining that to him. It's it's just another burden to to add to the weight that Sam's carrying as he's contemplating. Is this really a, a decision I want to make? And it just challenges him and makes him question more what the mantle of Captain America really means. And I feel like that's what this show is about it. it, it that And so I just think um, great great call from the showrunners and, and just bring her in in this way to to also to continue to challenge sam as he questions that um do you, guys, uh, do you guys think sharon carter might be the power broker yes i am 99 percent convinced all right y'all gotta y'all gotta explain this to me because i had not heard this so they they talk about the power broker being the uh the big head honcho in madripoor and the theory is that since she's been there so long, she's risen up to be the secret power broker that nobody really knows who it is. Um, and she really holds all the power in Madripoor. I, yeah, I, I just, I'm curious. It makes sense as you're explaining it, how it could be Sharon, but what are there other, like, are there breadcrumbs I'm not seeing that there's also the, sorry, Josh. No, no, go for it. That's what I'm asking. No, so like there's that also that scene at the very end where like she deliberately decides to not go with them, even if they don't go back to the US, she doesn't go with them on any further um flag smasher, you know, missions. And then also she goes into the car and her driver's like, What's up? And she's like, We have a problem. Like it's not she's not just being like, Oh, like, don't worry, I got him out. Like she sounds like somebody who's like, Oh, I have to now explain how all of this went down in Madripoor under my watch, which I think is a very um, power broker thing. She's like, oh yeah, I have to explain why I let these people seemingly escape from a town that I control. Or maybe that's just me overreading the line, but that's how it felt to me. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe she's the power broker and it's really a Dread Pirate Robert situation where she wants to retire and give someone else the title. Yeah, what if she gives it to Zemo by the end? Or what if Zemo figures out it's her? And, she, and he's like, you have two choices. I can either rat you out to the criminals of Madripoor, or you can just give the title to me. Oh. Cool. And but, it's like a Zemo thing. But Zemo, wouldn't Zemo want to just terminate the project? No more superheroes. He, like, creates the anti-super serum that takes their powers away or something. 
I, but I still could see him just wanting the chaos of being like, sure, that's I'll true. own my own crime syndicate. Like, why not? Yeah, um, and Super Soldiers were only a little bit of what happened in Magic War. What if he becomes a power broker? He's got the resources to go after the remaining Avengers, the remaining superheroes around the world. I, I this is a great point. Um, last note on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We keep we keep talking about this city, Madripoor. Um, I didn't because I'm not a comics reader myself. I didn't know this until watching and reading stuff after the episode. But this is this is a big sign that the X Men are coming. And like, are are we correct? Yeah. So I didn't know about this till I saw some posts online. But that that seems to be the case. I think I think this, and then we talked about this a lot. But Evan Peters, despite what that ended up being, I do think. Kevin Feige sort of winking at everybody like be patient I know you want to see those mutants and they're coming but you got to wait like I think he said like not not earlier than like 2023 was I think the last thing I heard um so, so I think we so we still got a couple years left but well there's a bar in Madripoor that Wolverine hangs out in and it's seen in the in the episode I don't remember what the name of it is but it was a uh, princess right that's right. It's the Princess Bar. Yep. Princess Bar is where uh, Mr. Logan chills at in Nigerpore. So maybe, maybe off screen, Wolverine was hanging out in there while the while Falcon and Winter Soldier. Beat, beat oh, that's them. dope. It's so cool that now we can look at these Easter eggs and know that they're truly building towards something. I don't know. Like, we know the X Men are coming. It's no longer a mystery. I just feel like that's so exciting because they're. It's gonna be. They're gonna have a lot of the playground's gonna expand a lot for Kevin Feige once, once they start really diving into the, the X Men stuff. Okay, all right. So that's gonna conclude our the Falcon and the Winter Soldier talk. Now we get to talk Snyder Cut. So, you know, for those of you who have not watched it, um, Justice League originally came out in 2017 and was truly one of the least liked superhero movies of all time like that that is not an understatement i i we were just talking about it i did not see the original justice league so i feel like my perception of the snyder cut is a little different than everybody else's but um we get we now get justice league Zack snyder's justice league which was what was originally supposed to come out in theaters until the tragic death of his child um, he had to step away from the project. So now we get this mega four hour movie, which uh, apparently, according to Trent, not a lot of people finished in the first week of its run uh, on HBO Max. Uh, it's a commitment. And so with all that being said, uh, did you guys like the Snyder Cut? So, yeah, I'll go ahead and get started. I, re- I really enjoyed this movie actually more than I thought it was I was going to because like everybody, I was sort of getting hype um, when when the first announcements of like, oh, this might actually be a thing, like that it might happen, and then it was announced that it did happen. Um, side note on that, like, yes, there were super positive things that came out of the release the Snyder Cut movement. Like, there were funds raised for suicide awareness, but also there were some really toxic fans who, that's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, so all that aside, um, actually watching the movie, I was kind of nervous because um, they announced that they only did like four minutes of additional changing of footage. And so I was like, oh, this movie's not going to be that different if they only shot like four extra minutes. But then watching this movie, I'm like, oh, no, Zack Snyder, like finished the movie. He just they just didn't use like anything that he filmed in the theatrical version. 
Um, this is a much more cohesive movie. Um, and then, of course, because of the advantage of it being on a streaming service and it being four hours, um, this movie actually had the time to set up backstories for Flash and Cyborg, who we had never seen before in this movie, um, and really just take us on a more thorough, plotted out story than the theatrical version was able to do uh, under two hours. But no, um, the performances were great. The action was great. The soundtrack is amazing. Um, no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the Snyder Cut. It still has a lot of flaws, mainly due to the four-hour length. It doesn't need to be this long. Um, but start to finish as a whole thing, I really did enjoy this movie, and I'm glad Zack Snyder got to release his take on this project. I'm a big fan. Uh, I really enjoyed the Snyder Cut. I would agree with Trent. It needs a, it needs an edit. <laughs> it, it desperately needs an edit. We don't, we don't need um, a full like four minutes of a village singing to Aquaman um, in, in the, <laughs> the town of Iceland. Sorry, I had to add that in. That can go. Martian Manhunter should not have been anywhere close to this movie. The, the whole uh, nightmare sequence at the end. I, I am not a huge fan of the nightmare sequences. Mm-mm. Visually they look nice but i really am not a fan of dream sequences and stuff in, in any kind of movie mm-hmm. um but overall i'm a big fan of it i've been a big fan of uh of man of steel and a medium-sized fan of uh, batman versus superman but seeing how the the story kind of progressed uh forward and yeah just the original theatrical cut of Justice League is not good. I always describe it as it's it's not the worst movie you're going to ever watch, but it's just forgettable, which is kind of unforgivable for a movie that's got Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, they, they all have uh, pretty fulfilling arcs. Batman is not like a jokey goober in this one like he is in the original cut of justice league um they cut out some horrendous jokes looking at you flash falling on wonder woman mm-hmm. um, and what surprised me was that the jokes that were actually in the movie were better than the ones that that the studio put in for the theatrical cut there were some actually funny parts in the movie like um like flash taking the hot dog out of the air when he's saving iris or um when when flash runs into aquaman after they fight superman and he's like i'm so sorry aquaman and aquaman's about to freak out it's it seems more natural humor and it's not the little quippy humor that you get from uh from joss whedon which I like the first two Avengers movies, so I'm not trying to trash Josh Whedon, but the the 2017 Justice League was a bad movie that at best is somewhat enjoyable, but mostly forgettable. But I, I really had a good time. I'd agree with Trent, too. The soundtrack is really good. Um, I think the color grading is a lot better, too. Uh, it doesn't look red this time. <laughs> that red tint for the third act of the theatrical cut is one of the most bizarre filmmaking choices I've ever seen. Yeah, and I think, like Trent said too, the whole story is just a lot more cohesive. Cyborg actually has a role this time. Flash actually has a role this time. Um, 
Yeah, really enjoyed it. Probably top three or four of the DC movies for me. Um, of the, the the cinematic universe ones, of course, you've got the Dark Knight, which is like a whole another uh, beast unto itself of being just a great movie. But uh, yeah, really enjoyed the Snyder Cut. Yeah, this is something I'm not going to be able to speak to as much. I haven't seen it all the way through. I think I've seen the first 50 or so minutes of the Snyder Cut, maybe a little more. Uh, but overall, I mean, I'm just kind of happy that, uh, you know, Snyder got to work on his vision because obviously, you know, his work on the original uh, Justice League, you know, was uh, cut off by the tragic death of his daughter. And, uh, you know, to almost, you know, I guess not really not necessarily add insult to injury but just kind of you know as you know just an added negative he just wasn't really able to realize his vision for the film it turned out you know by pretty much all accounts pretty bad um and i've uh, i've seen probably the last half of uh, joss whedon's version of justice league and if there's anything that i noticed as a difference between the two obviously the pacing is very different it's much more uh, methodical and uh, a little bit slower for uh, Zack Snyder's version. I mean, it's four hours long, so of course. But also, I think he really, he just knows better how to work with uh, color than Joss Whedon does. I think he really makes the recorded images pop a lot. And I think that the four by three aspect ratio, it's something that I'm just kind of a fan of. And I probably watch more older films than most people, but I think it really worked for uh, kind of the blocking and the framing that, Snyder used uh, with, you know, filming the various footage. I think it just really looks beautiful and it seems to be much better composed. Um, the opening of the film, uh, you know, I've gotten to kind of watch them side by side or very close to each other. And yeah, the pacing is just much better. And I think it uh, ultimately seems like a more serious and uh, well-crafted film. And I'm glad that he, you know, I'm glad that he finally got his say in the project. Yeah, like like I said earlier, I did not see Joss Whedon's version of Justice League and hearing you guys talk about it, I can't imagine what that movie would have been like uh, without Cyborg and Flash's uh, backstories and just contributions to the film. Like I, I without Cyborg, there, there's a lot of uh, what? Why are they coming together? You know, he's kind of like the the missing puzzle piece, so to speak, as you get into this movie. Uh, so that that's kind of wild to me to think like that, that he was taken out of the Whedon cut in such a um, such a large fashion. That doesn't seem right to me. Um, other other just things I want to jot down the I, I first of all, I loved the Snyder cut. Uh, I think when it comes, I, I like it because I don't think it's necessarily trying to mimic what Marvel did. Uh, I, in, a, in a sense, they're trying to mimic what Marvel did by creating a cinematic universe, but they're doing it. The Zack Snyder Justice League is doing it in a much, much different way than Marvel does it. And that's awesome. I think I, if DC is going to succeed at this and pull it off, like that's that's the direction they got to go. Um I, I, I was just dying at Trent's remark about the uh, the chorus of women singing to Aquaman as he enters the water uh, that the, the first act of the movie felt like a music video. They kind of it kind of was just like, here's a song with uh, here's a low 
All right, here's a, here's a very slow pan of a superhero standing and looking off into the distance. Also, how come every time Wonder Woman hops on screen, we got to hear her her anthem playing in the background? Like it was cool for the first two times, and then we were in the final act of the movie, and she comes hopping on screen, and lo and behold, you hear the Amazonian voices in the back, and everybody's singing, and it's like. I got it. I know who this is. I, you, don't, you don't have to tell me anymore. Yeah, I got to cut you off here because it led to one of my favorite memes of recent memory where um, where they t- they take John Ralphio from Parks and Rec and it's the, the scene where he's like screaming in Ben Wyatt's ear and it's just like Wonder Woman's theme music whenever she's on screen. <laughs> Bro, it's so accurate. That's so accurate. I hadn't seen that. Um, it, it oh my to- gosh. It gets to the point in the movie where basically it pans and Wonder Woman's on the screen. You can see Wonder Woman takes a sip of tea. And it's like, ah! <laughs> Wonder Woman could do, she could literally be doing anything. She could, she could walk from, she could walk into her front door and sit down and you would be hearing those Amazonian voices going. And I was like, you could maybe tone it back a little I, bit. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so it, true. It, it kind of undermines when, uh, when it builds up at the end with the, uh, the business with Steppenwolf and the little boom tube portal when she, you know, she, she chops his head off and you just hear the music then and you're like, is this the last time we're going to hear this? <laughs> I think I literally chuckled, not because I like wasn't enjoying the scene, but literally I was like, no, I thought the music was gone. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 that that kind of is the conceit of my favorite meme to come out of the movie, which is uh, I think I saw a tweet that was Wonder Woman colon does nothing, Danny Elfman colon, and it's just a picture of a violin on fire. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, D- Danny Elfman didn't uh, didn't end up doing this one. It was uh, Junkie XL. Oh, that's right, that's right. I'm uh, Hulkenberg. Danny Elfman did uh, the 2017 Justice League. Mm-hmm. And Danny Elfman sucked in that movie. <laughs> or was I mean, inspired. So I like, never heard it's such an aggressive take at a composer. So here's the thing for me with Danny Elfman. I actually don't remember a lot of his original music. I just remember that he, at two points in the movie, incorporates older classic. Um, like he he uses the the Tim Burton Batman theme for one of the scenes with Batman, and he uses John Williams Superman theme for one of the scenes with Superman. And I'm like, why are these very anachronistic like music choices in for this like? And they still have like the Wonder Woman guitar theme, mind you. So we have heavy metal going on, and then we have like John Williams triumphant brass for Superman. And I'm like, no. But, but when the Superman, you know, when the John Williams Superman theme plays, it's not for heroic Superman. It's when Superman is bad. Yes. And and he's playing that. And then Batman is in the little Batmobile thing. And you hear the... And he's like rolling backwards in his car shooting parademons. It's like, what? what is this? <laughs> who who signed off on this? And mm-hmm. the, uh, the theme is so generic. And... Yeah, Danny Elfman, big fan of uh, his work on Spider-Man and yes. even his work on Batman, but not in that movie. That soundtrack is garbage. It's it's like corporate. He probably just slapped his name on it and got like a college student, a bad college student to do it. Yeah. Just other notes I want to... Um say because that was not the only takeaway 
from the movie that I had was not just the aggressive Wonder Woman anthem, but um, I love getting to know these characters. I love Cyborg's backstory. I think the Flash is my favorite character in this universe, like hands down. I just think he, Ezra Miller as Barry Allen is just, I, it's kind of effortless, man. I don't know. It's, um, I, I love, I just love his performance and I love Barry Allen, the character too. Um, the other thing too is Ben Affleck as Batman and Bruce Wayne. That's almost, I actually, that I, I while I like the Flash the best, that might be the more impressive one to me. Mm-hmm. is ben affleck's especially his bruce wayne is is just like i i want more of that so badly yes i have we not gotten more of that he's so good as bruce wayne i i, I agree i i have the hot take of i don't know if he's a better overall batman and bruce wayne but he is the first actor of all of the live action batman to i think really nail the intimidation and aggression of batman i don't know if any other batman have scared me and or not scared me but like you know been that imposing force the way that he has um i think he has nailed that 100 percent better than even like bale and keaton um that, so, so yeah that's i don't my think hot that's take for that the day. hot of a take honestly okay okay yeah if you, if you go watch uh batman v superman that warehouse scene he's just like crushing people in that one he's throwing like boxes at him and just tearing them up it, he's a very vicious batman i like my batman as vicious batman though <laughs> um okay so what was to you guys that have seen both the original and the snyder cut what was the greatest improvement from the original cyborg's whole story i feel like is is the answer to this question um like like you said, Josh, like I how is there not cyborg story in the theatrical version? Like of all the things you can cut from Zack Snyder's vision, I, I feel like the cyborg thing is the one thing you absolutely could not have. Um, and obviously there's been many, 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 many news articles about Ray Fisher talking about his experience with Joss Whedon. And in general, there's been a lot of discussion about Joss Whedon's um behavior on not just the reshoots for this film, but film sets in general that um definitely have to add context to um, that whole thing because it seems that he seems to be a very, at the bare minimum, aggressive um, and not always kind collaborator. Um, so, so yeah, just the the full restoration of how uh, Cyborg by Zack Snyder's own um, words is sort of the heart of the story, that seeing that fulfilled and that being true um, and seeing such a great performance from Ray Fisher, hands down, was the biggest surprise, but also like the, ah, this makes much more sense to this movie now. Yeah, I'll agree with Trent on uh, on Cyborg and just give a different. I think Cyborg probably is Cyborg or this other one are probably the best in my opinion. Um, I did not like Flash in the 2017 movie, and Flash was great in this movie. He he. So in in the 2017 movie, uh, Flash is kind of awkward in both of them. But in the in the theatrical movie, he's kind of an idiot. Like he's just kind of stupid in the original one. And in this one, you see he's actually a really intelligent guy who is still kind of awkward, but he's he's really likable. Um, and you get to see some heroic stuff from him other than helping the Russian family in the truck. 
um you know like flash actually saves the day in this movie like they're done for without flash um i think flash even more than cyborg benefited from this to to be an actual character because cyborg had some character conflict in the first one with with his father and with some some other things but uh he was greatly improved upon in this one, and I think Flash was too. Also, Steppenwolf is way better in this one. He does not look like a PlayStation 2 character in this version. He doesn't go crawling around yelling for mother. That yes. is a true thing, Josh. He does that in the movie. He has a very like Oedipus Rex complex for the mother boxes in the theatrical version, whereas yeah, in ooh. this one, it's like, no, I'm just trying to get back on the good side of Darkseid, which is a much more compelling character arc. Yeah, then, so, so Steppenwolf, uh, Flash, and Cyborg greatly benefited from this cut. Yeah, I I got that impression uh, just from the discourse online, and um, I I can't really answer this question, but I mean, hey, I think it's easy, very easy to tell that this was a significant improvement all around, um, but especially for the character development. Um, okay, so I I have to pose the question. Where does the DCEU go from here? Because a lot of fans are are begging for the Snyderverse out there. And it hasn't seemed like Warner Brothers has budged yet. I I personally am of the opinion that I want to see the Snyderverse. I kind of think Zack Snyder should operate as like the Kevin Feige of this world. And he doesn't need to direct everything or produce every or uh yeah, he doesn't need to direct everything, but like let him let him call the shots on what stories he wants to tell. That's my opinion. Where do, where do you think this universe will go on from here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because he he has his plan for he um like this Justice League trilogy that he sort of has shared the broad strokes of. So I'm curious that if they do end up green lighting this, um, it seems to be that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen on HBO Max and not through the typical theatrical window um, to see if he'll still fall through with these plans that sort of have made their way online. I do find it interesting that this week Warner brothers did announce that actually Robert Pattinson's Batman movie will take place on earth too. So to me, that's them signaling that yes, the DCEU is still the quote main core continuity of their film franchise. And personally, I think this could be, um, a lot was made of, you know, Justice League was rushed into production to compete with Marvel doing the franchise team up thing. I personally think DC should allow this just crazy, you know, parallel Earth, parallel Batmans. I'm like, that's how you compete with Marvel in my mind. Like, just have the insanity of, yes, we have like three Batman actors doing stuff right now. Why not? Um, just if if artists want to tell stories with various actors, let let people work and do things. That's sort of my two cents on the whole thing whether that's restoring the Snyderverse or not, just, just letting the full creativity of the, the IP flow. Um, that's sort of my take. On that note, I, I this is more of a question. I don't really have too much of a perspective on where the DCEU goes. I think I've maybe seen one or two of those movies all the way through. Uh, but with uh, Sean Gunn's upcoming, or uh, James Gunn's upcoming uh, uh, Suicide Squad movie, uh, I know that obviously Margot Robbie is returning in the role of Harley Quinn, but uh, mm-hmm. outside of that, you know, it seems to be and and um, oh uh, shoot, 
Uh, Viola Davis and Joel Kinnaman also. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I, outside of those three, I guess I I didn't know if that was supposed to kind of be a new timeline or acknowledge the um, the the first one at all, the David Ayer version at all. Uh, what what's that looking like? So the way I've always heard it described is that it's a it's a soft like reboot where it's mm. like the characterizations are the same and they may even address some of the plot stuff, but that the core of it will be very different. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and I, and Warner Brothers recently said that they're as of right now not doing the David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad, which fans have been calling for. For me, that's DC sort of putting their vote of confidence in James Gunn's version that they're like. We don't mind restoring the Snyderverse because he was sort of doing his own thing anyway, but we don't want two confusing versions of Suicide Squad with both with Margot Robbie and some other characters running around. So I think that may be them just saying, nope, we're sticking, unfortunately, with James Gunn's side of things. Apologies to you, David Ayer. Um, but but I could be wrong and we'll see. There may be a David Ayer cut on HBO Max by the next like three months. Who knows? That makes sense. And I think uh by most accounts, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is like one of the best decisions that Warner Brothers has made in making the DCEU. And so I doubt that that's something that they would want to cast away for the sake of, you know, uh, changing up continuity or whatever, or right. keeping with continuity. But for yeah. sure. They're, they're kind of operating on an X-Men level of continuity right now where they're just like, eh, whatever. Um, yeah. I want to forget about the first Suicide Squad movie because I did not like it very much. I don't um, think anybody did. No, well, it made like $700 million. So, it I mean, it made money. Um, I think at best, the Snyderverse will be an Elseworlds um, concept of it being on a different Earth. Uh, according to Zack Snyder, the Joss Whedon version of Justice League is the canon version. Uh, it's the one that fits in kind of the most with Aquaman and Shazam. And I haven't seen Birds of Prey. <clears throat> um, and Wonder Woman 1984 really doesn't fit in with anything. Um, but I, I think going forward... I want to see Snyder's versions of the characters, but maybe not necessarily his full extended storylines for all of them. I'm like I said earlier, I'm not a big fan of the, the nightmare stuff, um, dystopian earth, whatever. It, I mean, it really looked like what the Dune movie is going to look like. Um, I like the characterizations he's done. You know, I like Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, Superman, I've really enjoyed. Aquaman is pretty much completely different than Aquaman in the comics. They have very little overlap in characterization, but I'm cool with it. Um, so I'd like to see more of his characterizations of the of these characters. But uh, as far as his story stuff, I think Elseworlds is probably the best uh, place for it to sit. And of course, they're they're doing more of the the standalone stuff right now we're probably not going to see another justice league movie for the next five years unless it's one of these hbo max stuff one theory i saw that i really liked was continuing the snyderverse in animation i think it would be an interesting way to get snyder's vision uh cheaper and you can do all kinds of different styles with animation i don't think he would be 
by cornered in by any one style of 2D, 3D animation or, or whatever. Um, and if you look at something, not saying he would do it in the same style, but if you look at something like uh, the Clone Wars season seven, that animation quality was the quality you see in a movie theater. So you can do that level of animation quality on a TV level scale. Um, so that would be something I'd be in favor of. The thing I'm most in favor of is Man of Steel 2. Whoever directs it, just do it. But I would like to see Man of Steel 2, and I don't think it's going to happen. I think I think we've seen the last of Henry Cavill as Superman. Um, I think Ben Affleck will be done after Flashpoint next year. Um, Ray Fisher is pretty much done as Cyborg. So really, we've got about half the Justice League right now with Aquaman, Flash, and Wonder Woman. Um, and the story of Flashpoint that I think they could do is um, is to bring in all of the new versions of the characters into the same universe. So bring in the Robert Pattinson Batman at some point. Bring in uh, whoever this new Superman is going to be that that J.J. Abrams is producing. Um I think they're looking to cast an African-American Superman. Um, I don't remember what the character's name is in the comics because uh, I don't read Superman comics. Um, but I think they could do a lot of interesting things moving forward. But I think Snyderverse, as it is, is probably done with the Snyder cut. That's a lot. That is a lot. I didn't. I didn't realize some of that stuff, but... Um, I think the more you explain it, the more it makes sense that it may be wrapping up soon. Um, okay, one last just kind of fun question. I posed the question on Instagram this week. What other movie would you like to see a Snyder Cut like remake of? And I got some uh, got some answers, some feedback. Uh, some of them are some pretty, pretty wild takes. But give me your thoughts on some of these answers which one of these would you like to see an extended kind of use use footage that was left at the at the cutting floor or maybe reshoot some things Wh which one of these movies would you like to see that kind of version of okay so uh the options are revenge of the sith uh, I forgot I left this one on there. Marley and me. Um, <laughs> we we also have uh, Ryan Reynolds, the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. Uh, Elf. Uh, Twilight. Shrek and also Shrek the third. Um, Goodfellas. The Shining. What? Or any movie with Nicolas Cage. And, uh, and, and on Instagram, I used the picture of Nicolas Cage as Superman when that almost happened. So uh may maybe maybe the next superman movie is nick cage all right which one of those do you want to see a, an extended version of uh i mean i i've long said that my favorite version of the star wars prequels is revenge of the sith so if you told me that after all of the ups and downs of people being like man screw the prequels like sell it to disney i don't care and then people not loving rise of skywalker like good old Uncle George comes back and drops us like a eight hour version of Revenge of the Sith where like Anakin's turn to the dark side is even more slow and more evil and like more like more violent, crazy stuff happens. I'd be all on board if, if Papa George were to come back and just unleash his full creative mind over a director's cut of Revenge of the Sith. So I think that has to be my answer. 
I I put the same answer. I think I had a few different uh, twists to it. You know, for one, uh, Revenge of the Sith easily the best the best Star Star Wars prequel like by a by a mile. And I like the movie a lot. I might not be as high on it as uh, some of you are. I know that Josh and Trent particularly love Revenge of the Sith. Um, but I think if you were to approach kind of a a recut reshot part of it, you know, I would say do reshoots where you can. And for those reshoots, they should do what they did with what uh, Lucas did when he was planning Empire Strikes Back, bring in good old uh, Lawrence Kasdan to write that script. Uh, because, you know, as great as the original Star Wars is and has much of a genius as George Lucas is, he's not a great writer of dialogue. He's not a great writer of characters. Whereas Lawrence Kasdan penned the dialogue between Han and Leia in Empire Strikes Back and therefore deserves a freaking Pulitzer. And I really think that, you know, that would help out the movie a lot. You know, like I said, reshoot where you can, where you can't update it uh, with some modern day CGI and uh, where you do reshoot it, uh, shoot it on some actual sets. Um, and I think that'll fix pretty much any of the huge uh, uh, flaws in in the original's armor and, you know, even elevate it a lot more beyond what is already, like I said, a good movie. So yeah, I would love to see a director's cut of Revenge of the Sith. I have got a little calendar in my room counting down the, the days to Zack Snyder's Marley and me. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, have, I probably haven't seen Marley and me in 10 years or so. Um, as far as Green Lantern is concerned, I never want to watch any form of that movie ever again. <laughs> uh, Shrek is already a flawless movie. Correct. What's the other one in here? I never want to watch Twilight. <laughs> so I will probably also go with Revenge of the Sith just because I want more um, Star Wars <laughs> movies. I think reshoots they could do. Uh you make the uh, you make Revenge of the Sith like a six hour movie, and you say, "All right, live action Siege of Mandalore, go." Mm. Yeah, give us give us Ahsoka. Yeah, yeah let's do I, it. We've already seen her on live live action already. Yeah, I'd be there for that. Uh, things you could do. There's there's deleted scenes in Revenge of the Sith where um, Padme sort of forms the uh, the early group that will end up being the rebellion. Um, I think that would have done a lot for her character, which is a character that I like, but in the third movie, she, she didn't have a whole lot to do other than uh, be pregnant and cry. Um, but I think she would benefit a lot from that um, and kind of show her moving politically. And you can see that more with Leia and the, originals uh, and then like a two-hour lightsaber fight with, <laughs> with Obi-Wan and Anakin and That's definitely uh, what we need if we're doing uh Zack Snyder's Revenge of the Sith which I know is not what the question was but if we're doing Zack Snyder's Revenge of the Sith it's uh Order 66 is going to look really good, if not super sad still. But those shots are going to be outstanding, I would I'd imagine. Cinematography will greatly improve, I think. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably go Revenge of the Sith. Excellent answer, guys. Um, I And it makes sense 
honestly, Disney could do this. Hayden Christensen's coming back as well as you McGregor for the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. I mean, like it, it, Samuel Jackson, I think would be happy to come back. He does. He's doing stuff left and right. So um, he loves that paycheck. He does. He mm-hmm. loves that paycheck. So I, I'm for it. Uh, I will say this to contribute something else. We just saw a live action Dora the Explorer movie. Who's to say we can't get a live action Shrek movie? Mm. Not saying we need it, but not saying we don't either. So I don't know. Just, uh, you know, let it marinate a little bit. Who is your fan cast for Shrek? Adam Driver. Daniel (laughs) Day-Lewis. And we got to bring, I mean, we got to bring Eddie Murphy back for Donkey. Right. Right. No question. No question. No question at all. Um, and who who's to say we couldn't dive deeper into the lore of Twilight? I I mean, they just wrote the the book coming from Edward's perspective. I mean, that's true. And our pets and Casey were having their like comeback tour where they're winning awards for indie stuff left and right. So there's a wealth there's a wealth of stuff there. To answer your questions, I will say we could not go back into the lore. Of- <laughs> Leave that alone into the. the- forgotten piles of history yeah that's all right that's all right well i think that's gonna wrap it for our conversation tonight guys i couldn't thank you enough thanks for hopping on and being a part of this this was a blast we'll we'll do this some more thank you josh for uh making it all happen it was great to chat about everything with you guys as always yep always a fun time to paraphrase will smith what we some kind of stinger squad (laughs) yes john oh that's good that's good we're gonna (laughs) hang on to that that might be the intro for this (laughs) um all right thank you all for listening don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts